everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Behold. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. Uh, and we are going to be introducing uh, a very special guest. Uh, introduce yourself, Chris. Hi, my name is Christopher. Uh, I am one third of a theatre group called Dark Master Theatrics. And this is my first time on this podcast. That's awesome. Um, if you listen to Genre Equality, uh, Chris obviously has been a guest a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for those who are unfamiliar with you, you know, like what do you do in dark matter theatrics? Are you an actor? Are you a playwright? Uh, I am primarily of the playwright denomination as well <laughs> as the main producer for all of our shows. That's awesome. Uh, okay, uh, so... This week, uh, we'll be talking about three different topics. But for our main topic, we'll be talking about uh, HBO's Barry, uh, created mm. by Bill Hader himself. Uh, Chris, um, you have seen the first season. And I think that was because like uh, the three of us, or maybe just maybe the two of us have hung out. And I have been, like I think in 2018 or 2017, like relentlessly trying to get people to watch this show. Because it was it was one of my favorites yep, back then. Yep. And, and, and it remains one of my favorites. Uh. So uh, we'll be talking about uh, the underrated, underseen dramedy, Barry, which yep. uh, concerns uh, Bill Hader. It stars Bill Hader as uh, a hitman, an assassin for hire, who uh, is suddenly taken in by a new passion. He, he <laughs> discovers uh, one day he's tracking a new, a new target. He's going to kill him, but the target is a wannabe uh, amateur theater actor. Uh, and he discovers a passion, uh, a thespian passion. Uh, so he decides in this show to transition <laughs> from, from being a, a professional hitman to uh, an amateur theatre actor with a local, um, frankly inept uh, theatre troupe. Uh, and that is the premise for this uh, very, very, very dark uh, comedy. Um, so mm-hmm. let, let's kick it off with um, our guest this week. Uh, so Chris, like uh, when you started watching uh, Barry, what do you think about it? Uh, if you're talking just about the first season, my first mm-hmm. entry into it, uh, the I was really taken by not the action part, but by the familiarity of that theater troupe drama. <laughs> I mean <laughs> that. And you as a playwright, right, have like unique insight into that, right? <laughs> yeah. Um it's it was the thing about Gene, right? The the theater director yeah. or played the by, theater played by theater, Henry Winkler, yeah. Yep. Uh the thing about him is that he is an amalgamation of all the bad qualities of what would make a really earnest but believes himself to be egotistically the best director there is ever. I, and, yeah, like, based on the fact that he just had a couple of commercials. Right? <laughs> it, it's one, one of, uh, and that really sucked me in because uh, a lot of the games that they played and the exercises that they partook in, when you take it out of a rehearsal context and put it into a performance aspect right it looks ridiculous from the outside but when you're in it like you take it very seriously and so uh, the Barry was a fantastic way to kind of look at how we look like on the inside from the outside and it was it was funny uh it was also very um very uncomfortable to watch for me myself personally (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and and that makes total sense considering your experience in in the theater scene. What would you would you say that things like that, like I, I mean, obviously, like not all theater troops are this bad, but would you say that there is an authenticity to it? Yes, there is. It's the the utter earnestness of knowing that you are doing something right, but you don't know whether you look right doing it. Mm-hmm. You understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think like that is uh, prevailing for any kind of theater troupe that starts out. Like watching uh, Gene's little microcosm of the theater world in his black box theater reminded me so much of my own first steps into performing and and having my own rehearsal room and and an ensemble and trying to get them to do stuff. Uh, trying to make it authentic. And I think the word authenticity is really 
something that sh- that is that is rare to find in a show, and and it has that. Barry has that. Definitely. Uh, what what about you, Aisa? Uh, how did you start watching the show, and what what were your like first impressions of it? Um, let me see. I I think definitely it sparked from one of our uh conversations uh pretty mm-hmm. early on. I did not finish the first season in its entirety when it came out. I think I dropped off like maybe midway through, just before the good like the really good parts start kicking in. Mm. Um, you know, uh, with the the mobsters and all of that. So, um, I I did find it funny, but I think at that point in time, I just didn't have. Uh, it just wasn't on like my top list, um, of things to watch. Um, uh, but revisiting the first couple of episodes from season one, and I'm done through the majority of season two. Uh, it's a riot. It really is. Uh, and there's just something about, uh, the way, the the tone of the series is fascinating because I don't think we've gotten anything quite like this where you have a very neat balance of the dark elements and like the quite honestly slapstick um, humor that you get in certain parts, you know, and the balancing between the drama side of it and the very uncomfortable comedy that you get uh, mm-hmm. out of the earnestness of the characters that, that uh, we, we get to know. Uh, so it's it's been a fun ride. Uh, I'm looking forward to see what's what's going to happen in season three, uh, which is now. Is it now? Uh, no. Uh, season three. I mean, they were in the middle of production when um the, obviously the, the shutdown happened due to the yeah. COVID nineteen pandemic. So I mean, we we have really no clear timeline for when this or many shows are coming back. So this is probably like what mm-hmm. we'll have for for the time being. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, and and touching upon what Isa said, I really feel like this is, uh, I mean, all dramedies obviously balance drama and comedy, hence the name. Yeah. But mm-hmm. this is remarkably toni- tonally audacious mm. in that, like, it is unafraid to be so crushingly harrowing and, yeah. and gut-bustingly hilarious uh, at the same time. It's a, it's a really narratively precarious, high-wired tonal act uh, that they've been able to achieve here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's kind of part fish-out-of-water situational comedy in terms of uh, Barry trying to be an actor uh, and in terms of uh, really the, the bubble that the LA theatre community live in uh, and also this part like unflinchingly dark character study about the emotional toll of murder yeah uh and it's it's pretty brilliant um where when do you like start to get the idea that this was like more than just like a regular a, a good show to like a great show like uh let's start with chris la. like was there like a point where you thought wow this is this is this is special i would say first episode Oh really? Thought, like from, really, from the get go, from the get go, it it hooked me mainly because of, uh, because I I when I watch things, my my analysis brain goes into overdrive when I really like it, right? Mm. Uh, and for this, I was always looking at how, uh, the mundaneness of, both the murdery side of <laughs> of things and the theater side of things seem to go somewhat hand-in-hand hand for it's some reason. It's just a reason, job, right? Yeah. It's just a job. And, uh, and that the, the comparison is, 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 is you can't show real violence on stage. Everything has to be acted. Everything mm-hmm. has to be crafted, right? But with mm-hmm. the medium of television and special effects or sometimes just really good uh, blood bags, right? <laughs> the the action itself like the the falseness of of theater the artifice of theater became much more prominent and so <laughs> did, and and because of that uh you would think that the artifice of theater would would reflect on the on the fictional quality of this serial killer killing everybody and all the blood and the bullets and everything but it just served to highlight how much more real that was mm-hmm. for me. So, um, to to encase my point in, uh, yeah, from the get go, like that, it really, it really something something in. Awesome. Um, and and for you, Isa, like you you mentioned, you you dropped off about halfway in the first season. Uh, what was the episode that made you like really hooked Ooh. when you when you came back to it? Um. 
I, I'm okay from the get go. It's good. I enjoyed it, but I think for me is when they started doing like scenes from Macbeth. Mm. Uh, that that particular episode, or uh, over the two episodes that they were kind of exploring that that particular um that short arc, right? Yep. Uh, was when it really got me. I think when Bill Hader has his has his uh, when Barry has his flashbacks, right? And um, what's her name? Says like you know you got to give me something, Barry. You got to give me something. Yes. Uh, to yeah. work with, and he gives everything. Uh, basically, in 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 that one line, mm-hmm. right? Uh, my lord. Oh yeah, yeah. Like this, yeah. this little bit part. I think I know what you're talking about. Season one, episode yeah. seven. Uh, it's yeah. when he was, you know, um, reluctantly forced to murder one of his war buddies. Uh, in, yes. in, uh, in, mm. in, in, a, in a beautifully acted scene in the car, and then he kind of brought yeah. that emotion onto stage. Uh, yeah, that was when mm-hmm. I thought it was special as well. Yeah, that was. Yeah. that for me was like it. It was brilliant. I had to. I had to hit pause for a bit just to kind of let that sink in, mm-hmm. uh, and that was the point in which I'm like, okay, you know, like this just went from good to great, uh, and and I I'm I'm on I'm, I'm on board for this. Like I'm I'm totally I'm sold. Yeah, definitely, man. Like I think like. With the immersion into the LA theater scene, it, there's an abundance of physical and organic comedy. Like the humor is universal, mm. of course, but but stage nerds like Chris sh- will like get a kick out of the specific <laughs> specificity of the theater. So job. much, so yeah. much. Every time when Gene opens his mouth, I just want to slap it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has this one portion where he brings up Brett, right? Uh, yeah, Brett. And I'm just like, oh my god, this is like. Uh, I think like it was the beginning of the first episode for this season, where for season two, where he just went like, oh, wait, what did uh, who's it uh, what did Grotowski do on the first day when he came down to dinner? I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> slap him so badly, but I mean, like the points he does make are are great. But he just doesn't have to name drop every single time. It's just so irritating. Love him. Love him as a character. Exactly. Yeah, but... He's such a fascinating character. Uh, and even his side story with uh, his romance with Moss, Detective Moss, is pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. And, and and obviously, uh, spoiler alert, like, if you're re- listening to this, you've probably already seen it. Like, If you don't want to hear it, like, I'm going to give a major spoiler for the end of season one. Uh, obviously, it ends with uh, Barry's murder of uh, of Detective Moss, which is kind of the crux of season two. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I really loved about the framing device, like besides the comedy of the theater, is that like, you know, Barry is presented at first as an almost um, cold-blooded, emotionless shell going through PTSD from his uh, experiences in, in the Afghanistan war. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And the emotionless shell of him makes him terrible at acting. But like, as he grows to understand the empathy needed for his craft, like the sociopathy that makes killing easier for him begins yeah. to wane, and, and that that's kind of the the crux of the show, and and that's what I really like. Like we're initially presented with like easy escape routes to excuse Barry's killing. Like he's nice, he's awkward, mm-hmm. he has PTSD, but once he is forced to do some very violent and horrible things, like you're you're also forced to re- reconsider how likable Barry is, and and unlike other anti-hero shows, Barry like never forces his audience to root for his protagonist and it's mm-hmm. refreshing to see that Barry's arc doesn't shy away from the stomach churning nature of his innate darkness la. and how is he mm-hmm. the show is able to kind of balance that with the with the lightness um have you ever seen Bill Hader in a dramatic role before and and were you impressed with you know what uh, this dramatic performance from him mm. uh, wait uh, I need to find out what I've seen him in my goodness, what? he's done Inside Out. Yeah, yeah, Barry is. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Bill Hader is primarily a comedic actor. He started out on Saturday Night Live. He's a stand-up comedian. Uh, and and uh, a bit like um, Bill, Bob Odenkirk from Better Call Saul, like he, this is one of those like comedians that kind of found a second uh, career resurgence as a dramatic actor because of Barry. Wow. Uh, that's pretty amazing. Is this the first dramatic... I he said he said so. one indie film like uh, a while back that pretty much nobody saw. Uh, but like for the for the better part of Barry, yeah, yeah, this is his first like real deep dive into dramatic uh performance. Mm, yeah, oh, yeah, this is my first time, for sure. He's a he's a fascinating character study though. Uh, mm. he, uh, I, okay, while you were talking about it, uh, it reminded me a lot of another show. Like Dexter, yeah, right. Yeah. 
right? We we start out this uh somewhat facade of humanness, and then we look into the sociopathic tendencies. Whereas this is like the kind of complete reverse, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in in terms of his character, uh, his portrayal, but he he doesn't. What I like about the fact about his comedic moments is that he approaches them very humanly. Mm. Yeah. Like right. Uh, and that lends it much more likable. Actually, I don't pity him as a character. Not once mm-hmm. throughout the two seasons, I didn't pity his situation. Like he he found himself in all those. Situations with all the lies that he was telling, right, and all the he made, he made conscious choices and everything. Yeah, yep. Uh, I think for me, like the real hero is not actually Bill Hader. I think it's mm-hmm. his, it's his uh counterpart, uh Sally. Sally, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The real hero. Hero. Uh, I mean, like, like, let's let's talk about Sally for a bit because, like, I think, like, it's it's a, a really re- brilliantly written and brilliantly played character by by oh, Sarah yeah. Goldberg. Um, I think in mm-hmm. in in most, uh, let's call it prestige drama, anti-hero type of things like uh, The Sopranos, Breaking Bad, uh, etc. Um, the girlfriend is often presented as a narrative obstacle, or or mm-hmm. like the the manic pixie dream girl who brings light to the sad man, you know. But but Sally mm-hmm. on her own individually, her arc is rich and worthwhile, and honestly, like far more sympathetic than than Barry's arc is. Mm. Uh, yeah. And and I think it's quite powerful. Like, what what do you think about that, uh, Isa? Uh, I I had kind of trouble liking uh, Sally's character, especially in the beginning. Right, like mm. it felt very obvious. Like, the setup yep. felt very obvious. Okay, this is going to be the future love interest, and especially going into the first couple of episodes of season one. Yeah. Uh, I think, like, as we dive into a bit more Sally-focused uh, moments, right, uh, it's a very interesting, the kind of... Uh, um, essentially, Barry's about performance, right? Like, even Barry as a hitman performs as a hitman. You know, he, he has fallen into it because uh, it's a role that he has found himself in because of Goran. Uh, not Gorin, uh, Fuchs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, finding him when he was a bad place in his life, uh, or even when you know that whole uh, montage, uh, this the whole flashback with him as a sniper, um, a, a marine sniper, right? It, it's um, to to use Shakespeare, right? Like it was thrust upon him basically, yep. right? Uh, and then the counterpart to that is this whole idea that Sally performs her role as an actress. Like at no point in time do you really get to know who Sally is, other than the fact that she's an aspiring actress. Uh, until you get to like the really nitty gritty, the fact that you know she's struggling um, to make ends meet. You know the fact that uh, you know she she's trying really hard to hustle her uh, a a possible agent uh, multiple times at that. You know and the kind of like harassment that she faces due to that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not until you hit these very kind of like deeply um, human and deeply painful moments that you start to see her as kind of human as opposed to her just simply playing an expiring, aspiring actress role in her own life. Yeah. Or, or love interest in, in Barry's life. La. Yeah. I don't think she's ever seen herself as kind of a love interest in Barry's life. Not until mm. like the end of no, season one. No, she's a hero. Yep, in, yep. Her, in, her, in her own mind, she's a hero. And mm. that particular heroism or heroism, right? It's played out very, very well mm. in this second season, especially mm. her art. Yes, yes. I, I 100% agree with that. I mean, obviously the show is centered on this titular character, but like, I like how it's fleshing out all the side characters. You know, I think specifically like Jean Cosineau also has kind of a, a mm. good arc in the, in, the, in the second season. And, and at first you kind of see him as like this one note buffoon. Uh, yeah, and then, and then there's some depth to him that is laid on, la, And I'm I'm hoping that we get to see more of that from the other characters. But from the more like straight up comedic aspects of the show, like I think um, Anthony Carrigan, who plays Noho Hank, oh, is God. is oh. incredible. He is like the funniest thing I've seen on TV in a long time. <laughs> I I love it. Like he's so his comedic timing is excellent. Right at any given okay. point, I'm like, just how he's got that that strange kind of like earnest, awkward stare in awkward yeah. silences on the thing that just make things hilariously funny to watch, and uh, he might be my favorite character on the show actually. 
Like, like, like he kind of steals. He kind of steals the show a bit. Like he's this effusively positive, naive member of the Chechen mafia, and and every storyline with him is frankly ridiculous. Like like in season <laughs> two when he's asking Barry to train his Chechen mafia army, and like just oh, wow. forget how like st- stupidly incompetent they are. It, it's pretty incredible, and his whole like. Uh, crime family love triangle with the Bobby, the the, 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 the <laughs> and like the yeah, Burmese mafia. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's, so good. it's so good. It and the way it plays out is is really kind of like a family drama, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like um he adds to, I I mean, um, it's the names or so. I, I I feel yeah. like this whole entire show, the the comedy of it also is in the names, like yeah. Esther. <laughs> I cannot look at her and call her an Esther. It's just yeah. does not. And same, what was the what was the Burmese? Uh, uh, no, not the Burmese. The other, as in the Bolivian, uh, the Bolivian one. What was his name? Oh, oh man, I, I forgot his name, but he's he's hilarious. Crystal Ball. Crystal Ball. Crystal Ball. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, like I, I love all, all the side characters in the show. It, it's, it's pretty insane, la. Like even, like I did not expect, like in season two, like for some of the dark moments to actually come from the theater side of the show, and yeah. some mm. of the lighter comedy moments to come from the crime side of the show. Because in season yeah. one, it was obviously like, oh, blood and murder and death. That's the dark part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in season two, like some of the theater like arcs were actually more. Human and more painful than than the the no whole Hank uh thing obviously like, because that's just frankly yeah. hilarious. Oh man, um, what do you think about? Have you seen um in season two uh this episode where Barry has encounters this feral little girl who knows Taekwondo and has that like yes. long fight scene? Like that oh, was directed, my that was directed and written by Bill Hader. Um, what what do you think about that, Chris? It was. It was gruesome to watch. Uh. <laughs> it was so <laughs> funny. It was so funny. Like, there was this one point, okay, not spoiling too much, right? The father comes back into the supermarket. I I thought it, it looked like a scene straight out of, like, The Walking Dead. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, there was just something about the colouring, the positioning, and and that girl, she reminded me of, like, Logan from Weapon, like Weapon X. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, she was a- actually like pretty much X23 uh, from Logan. Yeah, it was, it was really well done. I-, I really enjoyed it. I think from like a directional sense, like the opening, I think 15 or 16 minutes were essentially this one take fight scene between Barry and, and this little girl. And it, was, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was pretty insane. Like I had, it was one of the more surreal moments of the show. Like, like you said, like the show is fairly grounded. Like. But there was like almost mm. a superhero fight that was going on, and and it, it was taking place over real time over a day. Also, as they were chasing this little girl around, and she's jumping along trees and stuff like that. And yeah. she's like, "What the fuck am I watching?" <laughs> and and the thing about it is that they keep on pointing out the obvious because she's just gonna sit there like a gargoyle. <laughs> yeah. I I think it's great. It's 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 one of great. uh Bill Hader's best performances. One one of his best directing efforts and one of his best mm. writing efforts as well. Uh, did you did you get to that point, uh, Isa, in season two? Uh, that is uh episode five. Yes, I did. In fact, I just watched it earlier today. Yeah, yeah. The the one where he encounters the Taekwondo champion and his daughter, right? Yeah, yeah. He's asked to kill them. That's that that was amazing, Like I I. <laughs> I saw the episode last year, and I still I'm still thinking about it this year. Like it's so fresh in my head. (laughs) (laughs) What are you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, uh, yeah. Like I I think like before we conclude, uh, like uh, Chris and uh, let's start with Isa first, uh, Like like are there any other like side characters or arcs or, or things that you wanted to like elucidate on before we jump to our concluding thoughts? Uh, I really want to read Gene Cosano's book. <laughs> I really, really do because I'm so curious. Like so many random side characters call it life cha- life changing, right? Uh, like yeah. uh, Ryan Madison calls it life changing, and then uh, Taylor the Marine calls it life changing. And I'm yeah. just like, what exactly is in this book of probably like theater truisms, right? Uh, yeah. That is so compelling to. Uh, like these strange, really kind of like caricatured characters, right? 
for them to kind of call it that. And we don't actually like we don't actually see Barry finish the book at any point in time, do we? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. So I I that's just that's this is something that's just been kind of hanging over my my head for a while. Uh, you know, and then of course they refer back to it like early in season two. <laughs> I can't give you a, a refund, but I'll give you a discount coupon for my book. So I just want to know what's in the book. I I think that would be pretty funny, just to like yep. have an episode where they just talk about what's in the book. Uh, uh me too, man. I, uh, what about you, Chris? Uh, actually, I'm quite curious about Fuchs. Uh, actually, mm. for for a really major character, uh, plot device sometimes right mm. with Barry in in terms of inciting rolling situations right his yep. background is very vague yeah yes. and I'm quite curious to see whether in season three they start to kind of explore him a bit more because I mean like they punished him really fast right in yep. this season so uh, it was they didn't give me enough backstory, but I mean, like, there's so much things to mine from this particular show. So I'm really excited to see what happens next. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with that as well because I feel like every season has done a great job of of like expanding a previously side character. So I mean, I guess you got to save some stuff for for future seasons, uh, And and Monroe Fuchs is is one of the big ones that they are definitely gonna. I hope like, dive into next season. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, for me, um, I I love Henry Winkler. I I think like he's such a legendary actor, and, and like yep. it's it's amazing that he is able to basically poke fun at himself like this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> make himself look like a fool, uh, essentially, you know. Uh, but yet at the same time, he, he does have that kind of set depth to him where you almost feel sorry for him, uh, even yep. when he's when he's at his most self obsessed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, in the end, also like Barry is is your main character, like, And Barry at his most powerful is when we see that juxtaposition juxtaposition between Barry's killer instincts versus the man he wants to be. Uh, mm-hmm. the him questioning whether he is evil. Uh, and and really, really quite, and really questioning it, like, like genuinely questioning whether he is a good person or not. Uh, he imbues the character with so much likability, but when he he has that switch, you know, like when he he transforms into that Travis Bickle more militaristic mode, you know, and mm-hmm. you, he does seem frightening as well. So I, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a very wonderful multi, multi-dimensional performance from Bill Hader. Yeah, it, it is really quite, I mean, it, it's the, the fact that he's on board for every part of this series, right? Uh, in the creative aspect of it is pretty mind-blowing, I have to say. Like, I didn't think, like, watching him on SNL that, you know, he would have that kind of, like, uh, repertoire at his disposal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm so impressed and and big fan, I, and I look forward to see what they're going to do in season three. Hopefully, we'll get to see that soon. I agree, man. Uh, Chris, uh, do you have any concluding thoughts? Mm, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder when they're going to get to like interpretive device theater <laughs> season three. <laughs> I mean, they're doing, like, right right now, like, the first one was, like, really, like, looking at a uh, very elementary theatre performance, right? Then yeah. this season was looking at confessional theatre. Maybe next season, <laughs> it'll be interpret- interpretive device theatre. You never know. Yeah. Like, I've, I'm just curious to see what, what, what what's next. <laughs> Uh, 100% agree, man. Uh, I think I think Barry is is one of the best shows that very few people are actually talking about. Um, mm-hmm. it is like in terms of like genius level, top level dramedies, you know, like Atlanta and, and and things like that. I think I think Barry is is right up there in the top tier as as one of the bravest and like totally audacious uh dramedies out there. And and just mm-hmm. just uh, I've been I've been reading a lot of Bill Hader interviews because of Barry. Uh, apparently. He came to uh he was he himself was from the Midwest, much like Barry is. He came to LA to become a director. Uh and then he stumbled upon a sketch comedy troupe which he joined, which is how he made his career. But he never mm-hmm. wanted to be a comedian. He just wanted to be a dramatic director and actor. And and he's using his clout from SNL to actually, you know, uh finally get what he wanted to do. And and I think he's doing a great job with it. Yeah. yeah absolutely. 
Yeah, man. Um, yeah, the, and that was our our discussion for Barry. Uh, thanks so much, Chris, for coming on. And and for those of for those of the people who want to find out what Dark Matter Theatrics is doing, where can they follow you guys? Uh, well, you can follow us on Facebook, uh, Dark Matter Dark Matter Theatrics. Uh, we are because of COVID. Uh, we are currently only doing uh our orbital series, which is basically uh. An international uh, a book club for international plays where we choose plays from different countries from our peers and we get perfect strangers to read them out. And oh, wow, that sounds them. awesome! Are you guys doing it remotely? Uh, yes, we are planning for the next one to be done remotely. We have no choice. I mean, oh, like wow. we in the in the preset uh portion of COVID nineteen, right? When when it first started, are uh, we we. We still held one uh, orbital, but we were very careful about it, like with temperature taking, uh, disclaimer forms, and things <laughs> like that. So yeah, but now we're gonna go take it online. That's awesome, man. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh checking it out as well, and I hope all of our listeners also check that out. Uh, remember Dark Matter Theatrics. Follow them on Facebook. Uh, thanks so much, Chris, for coming on to Behold. Yep. Oh, thank you so much. Good to have you. We will have you on board for um some other stuff in the future for sure. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Chris, one of our favorite guests. Uh, thanks again. I'm back. Uh, this is a uh, hit zero again. And Isa. Uh, as you heard, uh, Chris joined us for Barry, but now we are jumping into our recommendation exchange. Uh, this is where we will be. Uh, every every episode of Behold, uh, Isa will recommend me something I haven't seen. I recommend Isa something that he hasn't seen, and then we'll both exchange thoughts uh, about you know. Uh, this is basically just a way for us to expand our pop culture knowledge and things that may have been our blind spots. Mm, yep, exactly. Uh, at first up, uh, is Demon Slayer. Uh, tell us about the premise, Isa. Yeah, so uh, Demon Slayer or Kumi- uh, wow, I can't even pronounce this Japanese one. That, but yeah, Demon Slayer, also known as uh, Blade of Demon Destruction. Uh, started off as a Japanese manga series that caught on uh, really well, but what's really been making waves is the anime adaptation of it. Uh, so originally it was in um, Shonen Jump, as many uh, many great and popular anime series kind of start out. And uh, essentially, we follow uh, a boy called Tanjiro, um, who becomes a demon slayer after his family is slaughtered uh, by a demon, and his younger sister, you know, is turned into a demon. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the essential premise behind it. Um, UFO Table uh, did the anime series, and I have to say, uh, it's one of the most gorgeous, uh, kind of like visually stunning animes to have come out recently. Uh, and um, surprisingly, he had not um, watched it until recently for Behold, right? Yes. Uh, Demon Slayer came out in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and it's obviously like it, it took over but at least the anime anime uh, zeitgeist lah. Yeah. Uh, it was absurdly popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people have seen, and now that it's on Netflix, more people have seen it. Uh, I think it's quite universally beloved. Yeah. Uh, in twenty nineteen, I I don't know how to describe it. I was suffering from what I would call um shonen fatigue. Uh, where I was just like like mentally done with these kinds of shows. Do you, you know what I mean? Like the, the trope of, you know, the, the weak person, something bad happens and then they, they go to training and then they, they encounter other stronger people and then they beat them and things like that. So I was just like very burnt out by, by the trope of, of, of shonen. Uh, yeah. So it took me a while to like re-energize and to be, to be honest, I'm, I'm still burnt out. So it, it takes like something really, really special for me to get back on board or, or to be invested in it. And, and to be fair to Demon Slayer, it is probably the best representation of, of that archetype I've seen in a long time. I think Demon Slayer is a fantastic anime. Yeah. Uh, and, and perhaps I shouldn't have let my my shonen fatigue uh, stop me from watching this uh, because like this is this clearly transcends that genre. Yes, it has a lot of the tropes as well. But, you know, it's yeah, sure. fantastic. It, 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 what, what it does is... <laughs> Uh, it's like you mentioned. It's number one. It's one of the most visually stunning animes I've ever seen. Each scene is crisp and beautiful, and and at no point does it feel like it's lazily animated in the twenty six episodes so far. Um, I I I can't get over how beautiful it looks, and I I, I love all the arcs. I love the battle scenes. Uh, oh, the fight yeah. scenes. 
some of the most uh, like thrilling and exciting and, and I know episode 19 has kind of become something of a of a legendary episode in the anime sphere uh, episode 19 mm-hmm. sorry uh, and it is it's brilliant uh, and I, I, number one the pacing is great too uh, I was hooked from the beginning the storytelling is fantastic uh, and it, it does like adhere to a lot of anime cliches but it does them so well that I don't care you know what I mean yeah exactly yeah, uh, I mean, my, my initial thoughts kind of going into that, I totally understand Shonen Fatigue, right? Because, like, I, I, I'm thinking, like, what, 80%, right, of all anime that comes out has some sort of, like, Shonen trope or something kind of, uh, can be categorized as Shonen very broadly, right? And, of course, we're big fans of, you know, My Hero, which is Shonen. Um, mm-hmm. And then we are also big fans of um, uh, anime that kind of, like, trump that trope. So your One Punch Mans and even maybe your... Mob Psycho. Footballs, and, yeah. Oh, yeah, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So for me, like, what really caught me in the kind of beginning, like in the very first episode, was just like, um, th- the animation is great, but their use of like kind of digital media within, uh, within the you know more traditional anime style, right, reminded me a lot of like an updated version of uh Puella Magi Madoka Magica, right, which is this mm. kind of like legendary um anime series from Shaft, which is my by far one of my favorite anime studios, um. And I, I thought it was fascinating, like just how well that kind of gelled together. And um, because I really love Puella Magica, uh, it was groundbreaking for its time. And I like seeing something uh, done in that kind of style where you have like a mix of animation styles uh, really kind of like um, piqued my interest. That and the fact that the music is great. Uh, mm. uh, I didn't really I'm, because obviously first episode we don't really get into the meat of things yet uh, although uh, as far as anime series go like the first three episodes are a very very condensed introduction to the plot the characters and the world building uh, one of the best montage training episodes I've ever seen taking place for uh, two years where basically like it, yeah, over two years, and they condensed it into a single episode, and it was so well done, so so incredibly well done. It felt a lot like uh what my hero did with that uh, catch up episode at the beginning of season three. Oh, uh, with uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I also yeah, thought that it so reminded like me a lot it... of um all my all my training um uh Deku like in the second episode when he you know when he was trying to build up his muscles and stuff like that. Uh, the beach cleanup one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the beach cleanup one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but I've, I, I don't think I've ever seen a training montage that's that tight, right? And at no point in time did I roll my eyes, oh my god, there's a training montage. It was like, at the end of the episode, oh shit, two years have passed, right? Mm-hmm. He's a decent enough, you know, uh, well, he wasn't a slayer at that point yet, but you know, he's... He was good enough fighter. to, he was good enough to go to the exam, like, not yeah. even to be a fighter, you know, like, you just, you yeah. just barely made it, you know? And that was the yeah. amount of training that it took to be like uh, to just go through an interview, and I was like, "Wow, that's pretty amazing." Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was intense and it was it, it pretty sick. I think the reason I like Demon Slayer so much is because unlike a lot of shonen anime that even the ones that we love, right, there is no filler, mm. right? There's absolutely no filler. The pacing of it, like, is pretty perfect, right? As far as it goes, I I feel like. Um, it's one of those things, especially people who are watching now on Netflix, like it's so bingeable just because it's very, f- the forward momentum is so strong, right? Like there's never a point in time when you're just like, oh, you know what? I'm going to take a couple of, uh, maybe a couple of days break from this just because, you know, it's a filler episode. I'm not really interested. We've got yeah. none of that, right? Like it's straight through. The action is great. Even the quieter moments are great, you know, very pensive. Uh, and a lot of very deep questions that are being asked of very young characters. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, just outside of the fact that it's already uh, become uh, part of, you know, uh, popular consciousness, right? Pop culture consciousness at the moment. Uh, it has all the makings of becoming a classic. I'm really, really uh, excited to see where this goes and if they can kind of keep, if the creators can uh, kind of keep up the pace with that. Uh, there's a fair mm. bit more uh, to cover from the manga itself and I'm really hoping that UFO Table continue to be the ones to do this uh, and we won't have another like animation quality drop-off like we did with One Punch Man or yeah. you know yeah. with uh, Fate Night and all of that like all these very beloved franchises which had great season first seasons and like kind of like 
uh, got left by the wayside, you know. So I'm hoping it's more like Mob Psycho where they just like, okay, you know, we're going to sink all our time into this because it's worth, uh, this, the, the franchise is worth it, uh, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I don't think UFO Table have ever done anything wrong, you know. So in, in the midst of everything that uh, we are receiving now as far as Shonen goes, right, uh, Demon Slayer stands out as a very different kind of presentation uh, you have all the usual things like you would get in your Naruto and your Bleach where, you know, he's beaten down, his uh, body is literally broken. Like, the number of times this boy fights with, like, grievous kind of wounds is pretty mm. insane, you know. Uh, and uh, Nezuko is a great kind of side character that uh, as she functions as a as kind of like a plot device in the very beginning, but then, you know, she kind of comes into her own Right, mm-hmm. and uh, because she doesn't speak, that makes it even more like compelling. Like just with the grunting and just the animation alone, you get a sense of who she is as a character, and that's exceedingly difficult to do um, mm-hmm. most of the time. So yeah, yeah. Um, what are some standout moments for you, hits from from um, season one? I mean, obviously, like episode nineteen uh, is is pro- one of the the best uh, anime episodes I've seen in, in recent memory. Mm. Uh, in fact, like one of the just in general one of the best episodes I've seen. Like, it's incredibly exciting. The fight scenes beautifully animated. Oh, uh, yeah. there's, there's there's a real sense of grievous danger to these children. Yeah. Uh, that that like I don't quite see or feel in other animes. Um, uh, the injuries that he suffers, the time he takes to recover. Uh, things like that. Um, I really, really enjoyed even the side characters, like the two sidekicks he picks up. You know, the other demon slayers. Yeah. Um, were were very interesting. You know, there's the cowardly one who you kind of want to root for, but he's so annoying yeah. and and a bit like um, I wouldn't say he's as bad as Mineta, but but kind of <laughs> kind of pervy as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Zenitsu is a fascinating character. Um. I mean, Minata gets a shitload of hate, and for good reason. Uh, yeah, you know, but I don't think I don't th- I don't think he's that bad as Minata, but like closer. <laughs> uh, he he fulfills that character archetype, but man, is that boy overpowered? Seriously, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, and I think it's understandable within the way that they wanted to write the character that they needed to kind of like nerf him down a bit, just to make sure that you know there's a, still a story to tell. But that fight that he had. In episode 19, damn, you know, uh, mm-hmm. really, really good stuff. Uh, I love how, um, and, and again, this, this, is a, this is kind of a testament to the way that they pace everything, that everybody gets a solid backstory, right? Mm-hmm. They always spend the necessary amount of time to make sure that whether friend or foe, whether hero or villain, right, some, they always give you just enough flashback for you to come to an understanding of why we're in the situation we are in. And that is so important, right? As far as it goes for, you know, um, audiences being invested in the storyline, right? Otherwise, it's just Flash. Uh, but we, we enjoy the Flash, but at the same time, we are incredibly invested in the stories of all of these characters. Um, mm-hmm. And for once, I think, uh, once in a long time, uh, we finally get a protagonist in Tanjiro that uh, I truly feel for and I'm not annoyed by. Mm. because his motivations are very clear and very defined and they you can you understand where he's coming from right or why he makes the decisions that he makes he's not a whiny protagonist which is a breath of fresh air mm. uh as far as shonen has been in the last like decade or so there's so many whiny whiny shonen protagonists Attack on uh, Titan, etc. Yeah. yeah, and it just feels like, you know, uh, I, I'm rooting for this boy, like the whole way through, mm. right? But at the same time, like his ability to kind of empathize with, with um, uh, demons, the, with the demons, right? Uh, it's a particularly strong point here. It's not like how it's done in like Naruto, whereby, oh, you know, he has like kind of like an earnest winning personality and he kind of like wins over everybody that he has to fight against and all of that. Like there's a genuine sadness um, that comes about uh, that that is portrayed whenever he talks about you know um, the ways demon exists and the things that they're forced to do sometimes outside of their own will or even this sadness about the decisions that they make right mm-hmm. and that is incredibly compelling uh, to see a young shonen anime protagonist uh, have because that's something that we don't get um, you know uh, regularly at all uh, I agree man um, I think like uh, Demon Slayer in particular has been compared a lot structurally to Bleach. Yeah. Uh, and I think, like, 
like you mentioned, like Bleach kind of has a lot of filler. Uh, Demon Slayer doesn't. Yeah. It, has, it has better pacing. Obviously, like technology is better, so the animation is better. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's so good at characterization, right? That you know, like every time a demon dies, they kind of spend like thirty seconds or less. Yeah. Uh, in flashback for the backstory. Yeah. And like that, that is enough to get you invested in who the demon was. And that that's how good it is, yeah. you know. Like that thirty seconds, like makes me understand completely. Distills the demon backstory in like a quick flashback, and I'm like, oh man, I feel bad for him. It's so good. It is so good. I mean, like how it that that flashback sequence, that those thirty seconds that they give you, right, recontextualizes the entire episode, the entire fight for you, right? And then yeah. like, it adds so much more and so many more layers to just kind of like the story and trying to understand that this isn't just about a boy getting his powers and becoming incredibly powerful and, you know, uh, kind of like steamrolling everything that's in his way. Every fight is hard won and well-earned and incredibly tragic at the same time, you know? Mm. And that's something that we really haven't seen. I, I, I think the last time I had some uh, a, a franchise kind of like stir similar feelings uh, for me was Avatar. Mm, yes. You know, uh, with with Legend of Aang, right? And like it, it's um, obviously Avatar is a very different kind of uh, beast, you know, compared to to uh, a typical shonen anime. But like for them to be able to squeeze what they're doing uh, in in this particular season, like over the twenty six episodes, like damn, like I'm <laughs> so so taken by uh, the way that they've decided to go about it and the kind of creative decisions that they've made. It is. Um, really a, a solid uh, example of great storytelling. Yes, uh, I mean, I 100% agree. One of, one of the, honestly, one of the, the best enemies, at, at least of this type that I've seen in a, in a very long time. Uh, mm. I'm so glad I watched it. If, if you're not watching it, right, it's on it's on Netflix right now. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you're in America or stuff like that, it's on Toonami and Crunchyroll and, and Adult Swim and other things. But if you're in Singapore, uh, do, do check it out on Netflix. Man. I think it's 100% worth your time. And, and like the peak at just super top tier top drawer uh, shonen anime yeah absolutely um, look forward to season 2 which has been confirmed already uh, I think we're getting uh, there's a movie coming out first right yeah so there'll be a movie uh, while we're waiting for the uh, season 2 season 2 has been confirmed but um, the actual release date has not been announced yet just because uh, UFO table have are focusing currently focusing on the movie and also yep. because of like delays you know um, from from the pandemic and things like that uh but yeah i mean like a solid um you know if we were to review it, it's a 10 out of 10 for me i'm very taken highly recommended to anyone who uh i mean even if it's not i, I think demon slayer is a great introductory anime mm. right like a lot of times you're like oh you know i don't really watch anime like what should i get into and many times i'm very tempted to give them kind of like classics Right. Uh, but those I, I tend to forget that sometimes, you know, um, you know, pacing isn't great, artwork isn't as great as what, what it is now. Um, uh, but it's uh anime like Demon Slayer or even anime like uh like My Hero as well. I think it's a great kind of introductory um uh, franchise for people to kind of like dig into. But now with it on on Netflix, right? I mean, please watch it. And if you love it, please recommend it to a friend because I think it's some great stuff and we and I really want people to see it so that it gets enough uh, viewership and gets enough support for this to be a long running franchise um, mm. you know uh, and hopefully like I think in a couple of years time it will be up there with you know our Hunter Hunters and our Naruto's and our One Pieces and all of that um, and I think it might surpass those I really do yeah yeah I mean like if it, it continues delivering on the quality of season 1 I 100% agree that it will be right up there with all the other legendary enemies that we've had so far. Yeah. Uh, yep, uh, do check it out on Netflix if you can. Uh, next up, we'll be talking about uh, a very super underseen uh, theme comedy from 2019 called Booksmart. Oh. Uh, to my chagrin, it didn't come to, it, it didn't come to Singapore last year in, in cinemas. And, and I was like, why? Um, I had to watch it on Netflix and it's not available in Netflix US or Netflix Singapore. Yeah. I had to go to Netflix France. I had to use like ExpressVPN. Are you serious? Uh, go yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, one, of, one of my friends, um, I at, at that point, it wasn't even out on DVD or VOD. So even if you wanted to rent it on iTunes or if you wanted to torrent it even, like you couldn't, you couldn't find it anywhere because it was a fresh release and I was so excited for it. 
that uh, I was asking around and, and one of my friends, uh, well, Hardy's friend actually, like Alison Lopez, uh, told me that, oh, Netflix France has it. I was like, what the fuck? Okay. So I, I, I got on my VPN, changed it to France and I got to watch Booksmart. Interesting. So what, what led you to Booksmart? I, I mean, how did you discover its existence since it was so hard to kind of like get your hands on? I'm, first of all, like it's, it's Olivia Wilde, who I'm a big fan of as an actress. It was a directorial debut. Uh, uh-huh. Wonderful directorial debut. I'm a big fan of Caitlin Dever and Edie Feldstein, yep. uh, the two girls who are obviously the co-stars of the, of the film. Yep. Uh, if you aren't aware, uh, Caitlin Dever and Edie Feldstein is uh, Jonah Hill's uh, younger sister, by the way. Uh, you can actually tell from her eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best way to describe Booksmart this is an oversimplification. It's so much more than that. But the best way to describe it is, is super bad for girls. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, it it, it follows like uh, best friends Amy and Molly. Uh, they spent all of high school buckling down. They skipped every party. They studied in the library and they participated in extracurriculars and all of that just so that they can get to the colleges of their choice. Uh, not they think like the burnout partying classmates destined for lives working in the gas station or something, right? Yep. They get into Yale and Columbia. And after the summer, they go around talking to their classmates and they realize that everyone else who had, had a social life, who had partied, who had gone to play sports and things like that, also themselves got into Ivy Leagues. Yes. And they realize that they're not special just because they did, dedicated their lives to academia. Yeah. Uh, they feel like they were rewarded, so they were going to spend their last night in high school trying to make up for all the parties that they didn't go to by having like one last wild night out. Um, it's a very simple premise, uh, and I think it's in the in the canon of teen comedies. Uh, this is Gen Z's entry into the canon. Yeah. You know, like every every generation has their great teen comedy. There is your Breakfast Club. There is a Days and Confused and things like this. Yeah. Uh, uh, for us millennials and Gen Xs, but for Gen Z, Booksmart is the best team comedy that's come around for this generation. It it exemplifies all the tropes and I mean not not like last time. Last time it was the the bully and the the cheerleader and the popular girls and, and all that lah. But there's a whole new uh, group and and tribalism that exists in Gen Z that we didn't have in school. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Like there's totally. the SJW people, the the gay crew and and things like that, or the theater people. It's, it's all very different, and, and I really love this insight into Gen Z high school dynamics. Yeah. And I also really think it's a very funny and also ultimately quite poignant look at like female friendship. Yes. Well, yeah, a very different look at female friendship as, compo- uh, as opposed to uh, uh, my brilliant friend that we, we, we just talked about on the last episode. Mm, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, like, it's definitely it. It it was quite a ride and a very easy watch for me. Uh, to call it Breaking Bad but with girls, I think is not off the mark at all. Uh, uh super bad. You mean? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, why did I say Breaking Bad? Cause, <laughs> yeah. Because better call. Well, Breaking Bad for girls. Uh, I would watch that. Uh, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, Gilligan, if you're listening. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we would totally be down to watch that. But yeah, so, so uh, super bad for girls. Yeah, that's basically it. Um, I really kind of like liked, uh, the fact that they hit all the notes, and but but there's a lot more nuance. Like again, you say it's like like life for Gen Zs, uh, mm. very different, right, from what we kind of understand. And having a kind of peek into their life with kind of like, um, the more how do I put this right? There's so much more that they need to take note of. Um, uh, you know, like things aren't necessarily cut and dry. You don't have your the many categories of people that you see in high school is much more expanded. Uh, and, yeah. you know, you have people who straddle many of these categories. And I don't think uh, that book smart shies away from that. You know, all the characters there are complex in their own kind of way. Uh, even... They transcend their stereotype, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, I, that, it's fascinating uh, just to kind of see that, uh, you know, and obviously um, uh, that one particular scene uh, of the confrontation in the bathroom that Molly had, mm. uh, that was great. That was such a solid, like, kind of, like, moment uh, um, in, in terms of, like, the emotional pitch of that. And then she just kind of, like, loses it when it dawns on her that people are achieving um, success. Mm-hmm. Uh, what she appear, what she believes to be success is being achieved by people who she thinks ha- hasn't put in the work. And um, that sets such a great tone and the motivations for the rest of the night. 
that I'm just like, yeah, sure. I totally understand uh, why they are doing what they're doing uh, and, mm-hmm. and why they're going about it. And the shenanigans that they get up to are pretty hilarious. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, like no one in Booksmart is an archetype. They are just people trying to do their best. Yeah. And and this this is one of the neat teen comedies that kind of subverts the trope of teen comedies where, oh, you're the, you are from this social group, you're from that social group. But, you know, like the, the more they get to know these people, they're all just human beings trying to do the best that they can, you know, and everyone is so much more interesting and complex than they seem. If you really take the time to get to know them. Yeah. Uh, and, and the girls from Booksmart, uh, you know, like these underdog apathy characters uh, who think of themselves as like disenfranchised and unpopular, but they themselves are a bit elitist too. Yep. Uh, so when they get to learn more about their classmates and, and schoolmates throughout the course of the night, that, that offers a lot of depth to and, and kind of breaks the, the high school archetype nature of these type of movies. Like, and it's really good. Yeah. Um, Booksmart, number one, doesn't have a villain. Yep. There is no like evil principal or, or anything like that. So it's really cool. It's just two girls out there having fun, uh, coming of age, learning about themselves, learning about their friends. Um, I think the performances from Lee Elkstein and, and Caitlin Depper are like remarkable. Their dynamic as friends oh, so good. Is, is wonderful. Like you immediately like when when Caitlin Depper goes to pick up Lee Elkstein and they do like the little impromptu dance, which it, for the record isn't in the script, they just like did it and they <laughs> kept it in. Uh, like you immediately are invested in their friendship. Yeah, and the whole and, like uh, compliment barrage thing is fucking amazing. Those two, yeah, it's good. hilarious. It's so yeah. good. It is so good. Yeah. Um. Apparently, the compliments were like at they weren't like written down on the page. They were, the, on the page it was just like compliment each other, and they just oh came up God. stuff. Yeah. So it was so good. I think so much of the point. I think the the one before they with the secret dresses when they, just before they head into the party, right? Um. Yeah. Uh, Miss Fine. Uh, Miss Fine, played by uh Jessica Williams, right? Like the yeah. look on her face as she's watching this kind of unfold is pretty amazing, and it kind of gave me a hint that it was probably ad libbed. Because there was this look of kind of like shock and surprise to like what was unfolding before her, and that was kind of classic. Um, I know the whole movie, and I think like every single side character like is super memorable. Um, I forgot who the rich kid's name was, the one that threw a yacht party that. Uh, Jared. Jared, oh my god, Jared is so funny. Yeah. Uh, I love him so much. Um, I love the the gay theater go- the gay theater dude. You know, the guy who says Barcelona. Oh. Uh, he's fucking hilarious. His uh, his costume, uh, murder mystery oh, party, so funny, brilliant. Um, Billy Lord who plays Gigi, oh. who just who pops up everywhere like ma- like this magical party coyote. Yeah, uh, is pretty much like kind of stole the movie for me. Yeah, same. Every time she shows up, I burst out laughing just because it's ridiculous, right? Mm. Like we don't actually take her seriously at all when she's first introduced. You know, she's Jared's girlfriend. And like yep. she's kind of like this, like you know, druggy slash rich girl kind of trope that she plays yep. into. But like she just she's she's like the um she's like the spiritual bartender, uh, yeah. you know, persona where she just comes in and like drops wisdom on people and drugs. And I, I love it. It's, so it's amazing. It's like first, I mean, the first party they go to is Jared's yacht party, which is itself hilarious. Yeah. And then Gigi jumps off the deck into the sea and like she like magically pops up at the, uh, at the theatre party yeah playing <laughs> a role amazing. she's playing a major role at the theatre party as well uh, as the mayor and I'm just like what in the world is going on with, with like uh, it's so so good and like uh, even her at the end when she's playing the piano at the graduation yeah like, what the fuck is going on here uh, for people who don't know uh, Billy Lord is actually uh, Carrie Fisher's doctor mm-hmm. uh, she actually um, played Young uh, Leia, right? Yep. In, in the last uh, Rise of Skywalker film, yep. Yep. Uh, which you know wasn't a great movie, but you know I, I think that was one of the great sweet moments that she got to play Leia uh, as her mother. Yeah, uh, that was awesome as well. And and this was my first introduction to Billy Lord. I had no idea like how funny she was. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen her do anything else other than that. Obviously, that made headlines, right? Um, because yep. Carrie Fisher, much beloved, and you know, <laughs> daughter filling her shoes, sure, but like uh. I, I had to pause for a moment when she first popped up. I was just like, wait a minute. that She looks really familiar, so I had to Google it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but like as kind of like a first outing, watching her do her thing, like I I would love to see her in more things. I really do. Definitely, man. Um, uh, obviously, like, Beanie Feldstein is one of Greta Gerwig's like, go-to girls, so she's been in, in things like Lady Bird yep. and, 
and stuff like that. So you've seen her around. Kaylin Dever has been like in a hundred TV shows. I first saw her in Justified. And yeah. She's she's nearly in every TV show that I love, like the American and things like that. Yeah. She's brilliant. But like every single side character here, like, could have their own sitcom. You know, like they're that oh, funny. Sure. They're that they're that charismatic. I mean, obviously, like Lisa Kudrow, uh, <laughs> who plays. Uh, uh, I think uh, was it Amy or, or Molly's mother? I forgot. I, I think, think it's Amy's mother. Amy's mother, yeah. Yeah, and, and Will Forte also like they the over supportive parents like who are too supportive. Yeah. <laughs> it goes like past the point of decency. It, it's pretty hilarious as well. Oh, uh, yeah. every, everybody has a has a great role in this, but I think at the end of the day, like the crux is the 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 dissolution and the reconstruction of. Uh, Molly and Amy's friendship throughout the course of the night. Yeah. Uh, especially with Caitlin Dever kind of, you know, trying to understand her, her own queerness, yeah. like her sexual identity, and and Molly, who is Vinnie Faustine, just basically trying to get together with a boy. Um, one of the best film sequences that I saw last year uh-huh. was um, this, this very one-take sequence at the pool in the last party of the night where Caitlin Dever, uh, where Dever goes around uh, and then she, you know, she jumps into the pool, yep. and it's this one thick shot where she's looking around for the girl that she likes, yep. and then like it all ends up all the way out, and you know, uh, perfume genius is playing. Yeah, yeah. She sees yep. the girl that she likes is making out with uh, the boy that uh, Ava, Molly uh, likes. That Fox, yeah. that Molly likes. It, she comes out, wants to go out, Malala, and all of that. It, yeah. it, it breaks down into this wonderful, uh, beautifully acted argument that you can't hear the dialogue for. Yeah, they cut because, it halfway. It's so good. Yeah. Because like the first the first half of the argument is the is the real meat of the argument. Yeah. And then we we've all been in that argument where in the second half of it you're just hurling insults to her insults. Yeah. It doesn't like matter. You're, you're not. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You you get you get the the gist. You get the, the meat of what they're trying to do to each other. At that point, it's just hurtful, you know. Yeah. And and I I love that you didn't need to hear what they were saying. Yeah. Uh, instead, you just kind of look at their reactions and what they were doing. To kind of understand that, like this was the breaking point for them. Yeah. I thought I thought that was just a beautifully filmed sequence, right? From the single take shot to from the swimming pool all the way out to the argument. Yeah. It was one of the best film sequences I've ever seen. Yeah, it was so so good. I was very very taken with the whole swimming pool thing, and like I didn't expect uh, at the beginning of their argument sequence, right? I really didn't expect them to make a choice like that. I just thought, you know, okay, this is gonna escalate and all that. So when the audio cut off, I was just like, really? Mm. Wow. Seriously? Like it's such a uh uh intentional and 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 uh, indicative choice of how good and um surprised I have been <laughs> with this movie in total. I totally understand um why you are a bit upset that it didn't get as much uh you know eyes as it should have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I also feel like Olivia Wilde, you know, this being her directorial debut to direct a film like that, to direct a sequence like that. Yeah. Uh, she has such a unique eye and a unique perspective on, on female friendship. Yeah. Um, she was she was one of the this was one of the movies that made me really upset with um I guess the Oscars this year. Yeah. I mean like I wasn't upset at Parasite One or anything, but like I was just upset with the lack of I guess female directorial representation. Yeah. You know, like I think like Greta Gerwig and and uh, Lulu Wang for the farewell and, and Oliver Wilde should have been nominated for this, but. Booksmart has the second layer of, of bias from the Oscars whereby comedies just don't get a fair rap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, dramas always get, you know, way, the, way the spotlight. Yeah. Sure. And and everybody agrees that comedies are like harder to do. It's 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 factual. And and Olivia Wilde kind of deserves more credit than, than she got for, for making a film of this caliber. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's a teen comedy that kind of transcended its genre. To become like this, I, I think like it's a new kind of cult classic. Yeah. Like 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 this and confused, for example, wasn't a big box office draw or anything back when it came out. But yeah. then over the years people rented it from word of mouth and stuff like that. It grew to become a, a phenomenon. And and I hope that the same thing happens with Booksmart because it's good enough to to do that. For sure. I definitely hope it does. I mean, like I will be recommending this to other people if they wanna good laugh, you know, and, and like they want something that's heartwarming and a, a, just a very solid coming of age story um, mm. that doesn't kind of like shy away from a, a lot of things. Like it delivers what uh, the premise is about and it delivers it in spades in a very kind of like uh, refreshing uh, way. So like I'm very, very taken by Olivia Wilde's directorial debut with this. I, I hope she, she does more stuff, I, you know. 
Um, Definitely. Yeah. And I do I do have to shout out also like if you haven't seen it, like do look out for the soundtrack because it's a killer soundtrack. It Bang. is. Absolutely. Yeah. Like the timing of every song as it mm-hmm. appears in the scene is spot on. It's yes. absolutely spot on. Uh it's just like one of those things that you no know, you have to um you didn't even need to kind of pay attention to that. Like you kind of latched onto the fact that yeah, okay, like very specifically at this point in time, this song is needed. Uh, it felt that way, but sometimes you know soundtracks kind of get lost in the background or sort of support the scene, uh, in a much more like subtle way. Um, but mm-hmm. for this time round, that's like damn, this this is a solid soundtrack, right? And it's it's cut exactly as it needs to be in the movie. Yeah, I mean, even when we're talking about the pool scene earlier, you know, when the drums come in on that perfume genius song, mm-hmm. you know, as the tension ratchets up, it's 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 wonderfully edited and and beautifully directed. Yeah. And and I I think like Booksmart also thematically manages to be. You know, inclusive and progressive without being precious about anything yeah. or sacrificing an, an ounce of humor. It, it feels at once like this this huge moment for the teen movie genre and also effortless enough to make one wonder why uh, something like this took so long. You know? uh, one, wonderful film. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, I mean, if you haven't seen Booksmart, if you live in Singapore, this freaking VPN it is on uh, Netflix France of all places. <laughs> uh, if, you, if you live in America uh, Anywhere else you can watch it on Hulu, uh, or or just rent it or buy it on iTunes and VOD and things like that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, highly recommend. I'm uh, not gonna regret it. I had a lot of fun watching this. Uh, mm-hmm. as as a kind of contrast to Barry as well, actually. So. Yeah. Very yeah, definitely. Yeah. So like, um, I I I really want to see what Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Dever continue to do as they they kind of like progress into their careers. You know. I think the two of yes. them have some major kind of acting chops. Um, mm-hmm. I hope they work together again. I hope. I hope. I mean, maybe not in this particular franchise, but the chemistry is palpable and it is thoroughly uh, enjoyable. I I would be down for a book smart sequel. I mean, if you wanted to reunite them, I think there's a lot of room for this friendship. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely, yeah, for man. Sure, for sure. Uh, actually, like one of our future episodes in Behold, I will be recommending uh, a dramatic. Uh, Caitlin Dever, uh, mini series. There's I think four or five episodes. Uh, but it'll be like few episodes from now. But like you will get to see a different side of Caitlin Dever. Nice. I would love to see a bit more range. I mean, like I've only seen I oh, I okay justified yes one and uh the couple of episodes of the Americans that I've got. But uh, mm-hmm. other than that, like this is kind of my first kind of um, seeing her in all her glory uh, uh, front and center. So yeah, please please do. Uh, I'll be more than keen to check out something else from her. Uh, awesome. Um, next week, uh, well, not next week, in two weeks from now, we'll be back with a brand new episode of Behold. Yeah. I think we'll do feedback. Yeah, we're going to do feedback as the main topic. Uh, again. Definitely. Uh, yeah. We're, we're still deciding on, on our subtopics. Uh, uh, I saw it's already recommended me, Mushishi, which I have seen <laughs> already, uh, so I can't wait to talk about that. It's uh, two seasons and two specials, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah uh, and I got through that in like a week. It was pretty insane how I, how quickly I consumed it. How we talk about it uh, next time? Yeah. Uh, till then, uh, this has been Hinzer. This is Isa. Uh, goodbye, guys. Bye.